Soapbox Sisters, hosted by Jessica C., Jessica Denise, and Linda. This podcast is an intersectional discussion on all things sex, life, and everything in between. As always, we're talking from our lived experience. If these topics bring anything up for you, we encourage you to talk to a professional. Happy listening! Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Jessica Rose. My name is Linda. And I am Jessica Denise. (laughs) Today we're going to talk about abortion. And the reason why we decided to talk about abortion now, as opposed to six to seven episodes from now, um, is as a lot of you listener or listeners, we hope it's more than one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Mom. Maybe I'm my mom. She's like, I don't want to be with you two, but I can't handle Spotify. So, anyway. Anyway, um, is that we in the United States have had a, an attack on abortion, a significant attack on abortion, um, earlier this month when, from when we're recording today, so in May of 2022, um, the, uh, Supreme Court heard a case, um, and basically that case unanimously struck down Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade was established in 1973 and gave a woman the right to choose whether or not she wants to carry a uh, pregnancy to term. And that was based on uh, the precedent of privacy. Um, so, yeah, so we decided to talk about abortion um, because we felt like it was very relevant. And we're going to try and keep this as brief as we can, um, mm-hmm. although, you know, it's a complicated and and deep and personal discussion. We definitely felt like it was super relevant to, to sort of pause our regular scheduled programming <laughs> um, to, to really unpack this a little bit. So I think the first thing we started talking about before we started recording, and Jessica Denise was like, I think we should record this. So was this idea of pro-choice versus pro-life. Um, and uh, I would like to speak so pro-choice is someone typically who supports a woman's right to choose whether or not she wants to carry her pregnancy to term. Pro-life uh, people often identify as someone who says the fetus at conception has rights and therefore they need to be quote-unquote protected. My argument and, and some other people um, in various circles would say that pro-life people aren't really pro-life because often in their own narratives, they also support um, or don't support uh, supporting women after they give birth um, or they're they're advocates for perhaps maybe the death penalty or uh, gun rights. And another super heavy thing that happened this month, two super heavy things actually happened this month, we had uh, one of our largest mass shootings First in Buffalo, um, in a grocery store that was 100% derived from a very uh, extreme white supremacist. And then again, um, last week, um, we had 18 children and two teachers uh, killed by a a gunman, by a person. Well, I won't get into it, but so we've had a lot of examples. And I think there were maybe like, what, 17 other people who were injured? Correct. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so but a lot of people who 
who identifies pro-life often will say, well, it's not the, the gun's fault, it's the person's fault, you know? I want to also add in that right now, in America, we're dealing with a major formula shortage. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so babies are having trouble getting fed already in the middle of all of this. No, that, that that's like 100% yeah. correct, right? That's, that's adding on to it. So the way that I think I'm going to use my verbiage, but you two feel free to use whatever language you want to, is I'm just going to call them anti-choicers. Because ultimately, in my opinion, I think that's what it's about, is that I, I truly believe that people think that women are less than or infantile, and that they're not able to make informed decisions for themselves and for their families. Um, and so that is gonna, might be a bit of an extreme approach, and that's okay if you see it that way, but that's kind of how I see it. Well, one thing is you were, as you were talking about the shooter in Buffalo, um, you called him extreme, and I had some pushback mm. on that. Don't because worry. one of the things that I know um, is the importance of language. And, you know, this person had a whole manifesto and a whole plan, and so much of violence begins with language. And often we find a way to articulate violently before we, before violence moves through our body into action. And I feel like that's what we're dealing with now, um, is this language, this issue of language, of how are we talking about things? How, you know, even even the whole idea of, you know, anti-choice um, or, or pro-life or like, what, what is the language that we use that actually accurately describes the thing that we are are trying to talk about? And, 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 and is there violence in, in those, in those way, in those languages, in those words that were that people are choosing, how can we? How can someone say, you know, pro life, but then advocate for the death penalty? Mm-hmm. What does that? What does that mean? What is there's a contradiction inherent in that, and how is that contradiction being reconciled, or is it being reconciled? Is cognitive dissonance something that is encouraged and allowed and why um so that's those are the things that are coming up for me um because i think that as we start to think about language and the ways that it shapes how we how we view the world you know when i'm when i'm working with clients i i give definitions and distinctions between different things so people can start to to see them in their world with more clarity and I love that we even get to have this conversation around like how what is the language that's being used and what is what are the implications of the language that's being used? What's missing in the language? Like, you know, what's really missing in the in the conversation in general. So I'm just excited that we're talking about it. Um, and this is sometimes like 
the disconnect between, right, like what they, and by they I mean people that identified as Mormon was like quote unquote pro life. Mm-hmm. Um, that disconnect that I feel like sometimes gets avoided by one of the examples, right, that Mr. Day gave us, like potentially being saying that they're pro life in terms of birth, but you know, for the death penalty, right? And so I think that the other week that I've kind of seen that play out and has also been like saying that they're pro life but not like pro support of the mother once mm-hmm. she does have a child. Mm-hmm. And that to me is probably one of the things that has been the most frustrating, right? Um, I think especially because a lot of individuals that identify themselves as somebody who's pro life it, they tend to identify themselves as people that are like of faith or like of spirituality or of a certain religion. And I think that is one of the things that I find conflicting mm-hmm. within the narrative because as people of faith, right, to sit here and kind of feel that they have the right to dictate what somebody else has to choose mm-hmm. in terms of a pregnancy, but not be there to kind of fully support what happens after a woman does, let's say, potentially choose to keep a pregnancy, I feel like there, there's a big disconnect there. Mm-hmm. It's like, we want you to have the child, but we in no way will support when you choose to have this child. Which is interesting to me, yeah. because growing up in the church, there's this idea that you take care of the orphan and the widow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in the Bible. It, it, oh, yes. <laughs> Multiple times. And this verse is like, you hear yeah. it, you hear it, you hear it, you hear it, and you think that people are, yeah. are pro-life and, you know, will take care of them. And and there's an ideal that the church will step in and, and provide support, community support. And, um, you know, there's also, with, with the book, this, the people that you're speaking to, often, you know, there's a, a judgment of government support. Right. You know, that, you know, the government shouldn't be providing this support or funds or these things. And, but the, the disconnect between, like, the ideal that the church should be a place where people can come. Maybe we want smaller government, quote-unquote, and the church actually becomes a place where the, the orphan can go, where the widow can go and get actual support. But that's not a lived experience. Right. Mm-hmm. It's also about worthiness, right? Who's worthy of getting that support and who's not? Yeah. If you're not part of the church, the church isn't going to look out for you because you're not worthy of it. Because you went down the wrong path, you know? And so that that is a huge piece, too, as well. Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was just like, yeah, it's oh. like 100% about worthiness. Yeah, you never have to apologize. Yeah. I know. That's not the good word. So yeah, so uh, sort of moving on from language to kind of just establish a little bit of like a timeline, and that's the kind of person I am analytical. Um, so in the uh, sort of 20th century, you sort of saw, and we talked about this in our birth control um, episode as well, but you saw Margaret Singer opening up um, her Brownstone Clinic and distributing um, pamphlets and information about um, birth control and also by extension, like, abortion. Um, a lot of women, like, I would say, I don't know what the exact percentage of it, but I would say in the t- early 20th century, 19th century, and even before Roe, like, 
was a very strong leading cause of death for women mm-hmm. um, in the United States. Um, and so, and by it, I mean abortion specifically. Um, whether that was because the person got an abortion from someone who wasn't qualified or they perhaps maybe had complications to inducing their own abortion. Um, but yeah, so there's there's a lot of discussion kind of like around like when this all originated. So there wasn't anything that was really like codified and birth control and abortion kind of simultaneously have existed in the same spaces. Um, and so in the 60s, you had a series of laws that sort of established um, a woman's right to choose birth control options. So first it was a Supreme Court uh, hearing that said, okay, if you're a married woman, you can re- you can get contraceptive services. And then it went out further, uh, and again, I don't know the exact time, but I know it was in the 1960s, where any unmarried woman was allowed to request birth control without the consent of a partner or a, a male partner or a male adult relative. Um, this was in the 1960s. Oh, this is so like, irritating. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's codified, right? That's like in the law, the federal law. Interestingly enough, in the 1970s and early-ish 80s, Republicans were very much in favor of pro-choice. They were, they were actually pro-choice. Um, because the, the sort of purest version of, of conservatism in, at that time was very little government intervention. So ironically, we're kind of having this discussion again about privacy and about government intervention. So we have this one juxtaposition in the early part of this month of May where we're talking about uh, a woman's right to choose whether or not she wants to have an abortion and then at the same time, we're also having this conversation about gun control. So the same people who are saying, you don't have the right to choose whether or not you want to have an abortion, they're also saying, you don't get to tell me what to do with my guns because that's my right to privacy. Mm-hmm. So and they have often also been very anti-mask, anti-vaccine mm-hmm. throughout you know, a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to quote-unquote right to privacy. If, if People who were truly pro-life, right, um, believed in pro-life. They wouldn't agree with putting children in cages. They wouldn't, um, you know, not wear masks. They wouldn't advocate for gun rights. They wouldn't, like, there's all these different things, in my opinion, right, right. this is an opinion, um, that, that seemed contradictory, again, to that word pro-life. So, anyway, so in 1973, it was official, Roe versus Wade. Uh, I believe it was Roe, who was the person who was challenging her ability not to receive an abortion. Um, and that was in Texas. And then it was brought to the Supreme Court. And then the Supreme Court decided it was a woman's right to choose because it was a privacy matter. It was a decision between her and a qualified medical physician whether or not uh, it was appropriate for that person to continue their uh, pregnancy. And since 1973, there have been uh, anti-choice or anti-abortion advocates throughout the United States trying to find ways to dismantle the federal law. And for me, having worked in reproductive justice now for, I don't know, 10 something, well, I mean, 15 years, I guess, if you count protesting and everything. Um, (laughs) So basically, 
actually, it's no surprise to me that we are here, why we're here, um, that we're at this juncture in terms of our, our rights being taken away again. Um, and that is because it has been the motivation for many, many, many uh, organizations across the United States to dismantle Roe yet again, um, and it succeeded. Um, and essentially what the, the, the hearing says, and this is what they were, the uh, anti-choice was trying to get, or anti-abortion people were trying to get, it is up to the states to decide whether or not a woman has the right to choose and whether or not that privacy rule applies to the women in their states. So what we're going to see is California, Washington State, Oregon, probably Colorado, all of the East Coast states. Sorry to any East Coast friends who are listening, like, hey, why didn't you do a shout out? Hey, New York, Um, (laughs) Massachusetts. Those places are probably going to say, yeah, it's legal for a woman to choose when she, oh, sorry, if she wants to terminate her pregnancy. But uh, the middle part of the country, for the most part, you will probably not be able to choose. um, And you will not have uh, a clinic readily available to you. And uh, the people who this is going to punish the most are women of color, let's be honest. Uh, And um, I lost my train of thought. But that is where I'm going to leave that and just kind of hear what, what y'all think or what, what are some other things that you want to talk about. It's so juicy. There's a lot of different directions. Yeah. what's on your mind. Honestly, I think that whenever this topic has come up, at least for me personally, it's always been something that creates a lot of inner conflict because, and we talk about this in first episode, right? Like where everybody comes from, like what are our and I grew up in a church, you know, I grew up in a Christian Baptist church and in a Hispanic Christian Baptist church, which gives you like <laughs> an extra layer of yeah. fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to um, just like people being generally very conservative, right? Mm-hmm. And it brings up a lot of conflict because I know what the church tells you. Mm-hmm. I also am the child of a teen mother. And I know what the verbiage was when it came to my mom choosing to keep a pregnancy. And, you know, because we're, you know, in the church, because we're in all all of these things. But I also know how much shame, you know, was put onto her for choosing to keep her child. Right? And I know, you know, she had a second child when she was still... She, you know, got married a month ago with me. So now she's married, but she's still only, what, 19? Having a second child and an additional shame. So it's like now maybe I've gotten older. I'm now married. I, you know, chose to have a second child. Still getting looked out upon. Still don't have certain access to resources. Still living, you know, very poor to not, you know, to have to go into the details of it. Like, you know, one bedroom in Tijuana, you know, with the help of, like, family with my dad working full-time, like, all of these things, right? And it's, like, that narrative could have looked very differently. And also, because of her choice, it's still very much, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Could she have changed, like, the trajectory of her life by making a different decision if given the choice? Absolutely. Did she choose to have us because of potentially, like, yes, her herself, you know, wanting to do 
also like what everyone around her probably expected her to do a hundred percent. Was she able to escape like the judgment? No. Right. Absolutely not. So it's so basically your damage is doing damage. Yes, now. exactly. Yeah. Exactly, right? And yet again, like there's there's that piece that I hold very much present and also like just all of the things that the church tends to kind of not tends to preach about what they do preach about Mm -hmm. right and i think that it it's it's a lot of different things and and the one that comes the most to mind is there was one specific um pastor that i'm very very grateful for that once brought up in a sermon like we like condemn you know people that identify as like you know the LGBTQ community we condemn women who get abortions we condemn and yet the bible says like there is no one sin greater than another so why are we here continuing to like identify these sins as like the ones that we need to be completely against right. when it says like there is no one sin like if you're lying you're equally as sinful mm-hmm. if you're a cheater you're equally as sinful so why is it that these things have been what we continue to like go after and you know obviously this is now at like a bigger level, right? So it's a case that's getting <clears throat> reviewed by the Supreme Court again. It's 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 more than just like I feel like that 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 individual like judgment. I mean, this is this can change lives, mm-hmm. and it's just the fact that again, I and I think a lot of my mind goes to to the church because a lot of these people that are anti-choice groups are they identify themselves as people that come from you know like a certain um religion or spirituality and it's like if that's what your basis is to create this like judgment Mm -hmm. like why are you any better than them when i can guarantee you Mm -hmm. are no like less worse you know yeah and i'm not gonna apologize for getting very like riled up about it because like it's not something to apologize for but it it's it is something that like it's it's very hard not to be reactive about you know because I feel like it doesn't matter who you are what your lifestyle choices like this is something that can affect like you a family member a, you know and the fact that it just is continuing to come up as something that's even challenged again it's like this is ridiculous yeah yes. this is ridiculous hundred percent and I think that one. We have time to do a longer episode. We're going to need to talk about the way that conservative Christians took this on. Yeah. That it wasn't something, like this Jennifer said, it wasn't something that was superimposed. And then it was, like, put on the church to take on abortion as the, the big thing, the thing. And... That, that has its own context. Mm-hmm. You know, that was very, very much a, a decision that people who had power made mm-hmm. um, to wield power. I'm sorry. And it's very problematic. I was watching a, a someone uh, doing a TikTok, and she was saying how... Um, uh, she was speaking to a Latina woman who was saying that she went for um, an appendicitis and they ended up sterilizing her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And without her consent, without her asking for it, mm-hmm. she didn't go in for that. But also how much of this conversation about abortion, if we're going to talk about this, we cannot not talk about the choice that many millennials are making to not reproduce at the same rates. Yeah. Specifically white millennials mm-hmm. choosing to not reproduce at the same rates as before. And this being like a pushback against that. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of so like little like tiny things that add yeah. just mm-hmm. it all adds up to this whole mm-hmm. this whole thing. <laughs> this whole world really. Um and a lot of it comes down to power, people fearing losing power, and controlling people out of that fear. And there's just a better way. There's a better way of living. There's a better way of us being in a relationship with one another. But we got to reconcile those things that have they have to be reconciled if we're really going to be able to move forward even the conversation around um the formula shortage and I, I don't know if you all saw this but there are a bunch of white men who were like just breastfeed oh focus on that that breast is best that in and of itself is such yes um well, yeah, yeah, it, complete yes, because a not everyone can breastfeed, yeah, and but also it, it reminded me of um, the days of slavery in which black women were forced to bear children mm-hmm. and had to then put their children's needs to the side to feed these white kids. Oh. As nurses, right? Mm-hmm. And how does that shape our society? That's never been quite reconciled. Yeah. So now you're just wanting that to kind of happen again. And it's just like, oh, no. No, no, no. We, we, need, we need to move through these things. Like, we can't just, like, act like they didn't happen and I, I say that history doesn't repeat, but there's echoes oh, that yeah. never stopped. Yeah. Sure. It, yeah. So it's not so much a repeat. It's just like literally the same thing has been there. And it's mm-hmm. just echoing, echoing, echoing until we, it gets louder again mm-hmm. for us to hear it. And I feel like now we have this opportunity as the echoes get louder again to deal with it. But as we do, power plays. Change, you know, challenging the status quo will lead to power plays from people who have the most societal power, even if it does not impact them, because it won't. Right. Banning abortion does not will not impact wealthy white the wealthy white men right. who are pushing no. up against it, because they will have money to get whatever they need, whatever they need. Right. right. Whether they need to fly people to another country, yeah. Whether they need to fly someone in, right? It's, they their needs. Their desires are going to be taken care of. But it's all about not just this individual, my right. It is about a collective sense of who has power. And what happens when when women do have, who 
women have the right to and are choosing mm. to not reproduce. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that? What does that mean? And you know, the patriarchy is like, oh, there's like a shift in power. And when that happens, the defense comes, then the offense comes. Mm. And I like to say, um, and I, I don't love this, but <laughs> um, I when there are Martin Luther King Jr. called it white backlash. When things are changing, when there's are tides that are shifting, what happens often is those grasps for power. Mm-hmm. You know, that things are changing. And mm-hmm. so there's this these grass and they feel so violent because the, the people who are trying to hold on to the status quo, they feel like they're fighting for their life. Mm-hmm. Now are they really? No. But for them, there is a sense of survival. Mm. And it's scary. Yeah. It's scary. But there is more for all of us. Yes. And that's, and it's just like, we can share power. There doesn't have to be this power over, you know. There, there's so much more for us as a society. Um, because I think it's easy to get stuck in the individual, my my right to choose my body. Mm-hmm. When this is this has many um, uh, roots in a, a conversation about a collective, about the society, about which babies are being born the fastest, and if you know who's having the most babies, and can we get more white babies and can we make sure that these other babies, you know, it's just, or that if there are more black and brown babies, that they're available for white families who then can't reproduce. One of the things that I was um, learning about was the ways that Roe opened up um, IVF for people. Mm-hmm. Um, because it allowed, you know, when, when it, when this, this egg and this, this start, when it's, not, when it's looked at as a fetus and not a baby, the, the research that's available hmm. actually opened that. And how many, I know many Christians who refuse IVF right. to, to conceive. And so even that, it's just like, what, what are we, I think the question that I'm always asking is what is the society that we want to create? Hmm. How do we, what are the ways that we see that it's being created in small and big ways? And then what is trying to be held on to that's trying to like hold us in place so that nothing shifts yeah. mm-hmm. to maintain a status quo? Mm-hmm. And then what do we need to do to reconcile mm-hmm. where we want to go with what is happening right now with these power plays? And... Mm-hmm. But it's definitely so much. So much in a, a what feels like a small thing, but it's not. It never is, right? <laughs> Everything is connected, and so we yeah. can't look at one thing without looking at the other thing, without looking at the other thing, and they all add on and are in this whole this whole world of their own. And we need to be able to take a step back and say, yes, this is about my right as someone who is a reproductive health who could get pregnant, it is about my right and it's about as a society, what are these other dynamics that are going on? And is it really about just me or is it about like my place in society? Mm -hmm. And 
like it or not, or people see that as a threat or not, and um, the individual and the collective have to always be a part of the conversation. And so many conversations have maybe one, one aspect, and I think that for us to move forward, we just always have to be considering those things mm -hmm. and bringing it back to the bigger picture. Yeah, so I, I wanted to sort of, you know, oh my god, like we could keep talking about this. Yeah. I just keep saying no. Yeah, so just really quickly before we end, I just want to go over some myths that I think sure. a lot of people yeah. think um, about abortion, especially if you're like middle of the road, although I think we probably lost you like an hour ago. <laughs> um, it's been a 30 minute episode. Yeah, still an hour. <laughs> we lost you an hour ago. Um, so to, there's one thing that I hear a lot of people say is like, oh, I don't believe, I believe in a woman's right to choose, but um, not if the termination happens um, in the ninth month. And this is something that was a bone of bound. Like, like, yeah. yeah. So let's clarify that. Okay. Yeah. So Linda, Linda has a baby. Can you tell us what is the ninth month? What happens in the ninth month of pregnancy? You deliver. Correct. So if a fetus was to be killed, or a baby was to be killed, once it was removed from the uterus, what would that be called? If that's murder. Correct. Yeah. Infanticide. <laughs> that's not abortion. That's not abortion. Okay, so there's no such thing as abortion at nine months. Okay, so like, let's just... Three four so that. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I do remember. I'm yeah. lost <laughs> around my memory. That, that was like, so ridiculous. Yeah. I think it was like 2017, 20, it was like right around, Trump started really getting on board with that murder, yeah. so I was like, that's okay. not correct. So that's that thing. Okay. Or anything in like termination of the third trimester. Right. And where, and that's one of those things where it's like, if there's a termination, quote unquote, termination in the third trimester, like, that's not an elective abortion. Correct. Right. So currently, I believe, uh, abortions can take place until this end of the first trimester which is um no maybe it's like the second trimester i want to say about weeks like, well, uh, yeah it's about weeks yeah. and that's that's what's hard about even like the concept of pregnancy is that they have like trimesters but they also have weeks yeah it could have translated into months but it's not so like months. Yeah. yeah i i want to say in california you can go up to and i if i am wrong i apologize but i want to say you can go up to yeah, I think that's like mid twenties. Yeah, yeah. And then it gets starts a discussion about viability, right, right of the fetus, and that's sort of what Linda was touching right. on is like the reason why a late term abortion happens, and when you see sort of like anti choicers or anti abortion people showing these quote signs of aborted fetuses or whatever, like ninety nine point nine percent of the time. That is because the fetus is no longer viable, right. and the TNC had to be performed in order to save the life of the woman. Right. Um, and so I don't know what the status of that is. I think what we're what what we know for sure is that elective abortions, the choosing of autonomy abortion, is definitely not going to be a thing um, anymore federally in the United States. However. Uh, I believe, but don't quote me on this, medical abortions, because it's, it's to save the life of the mother um, or to, you know, re unfortunately remove a, a no longer viable or dead fetus, I think that's still going to be the lay of the land uh, and I in, think in most states. That's still even being challenged. I think yeah. if I, whatever I, whatever I was reading at that time when I was reviewing this, and that 
believe in a challenge, like, it needs to, like, if it's required, it needs to still fit, like, certain eligibility yeah. requirements to, like, take it a step further, mm-hmm. which I think one of the things that you said before in a different episode mm-hmm. that I think is kind of, like, what really needs to be said is, like, all of this in some way, like, will not get rid of employment. No. It will get rid of savings. Correct. You know, like, I think we can always get down to the nitty-gritty of, like, look, there's, like, there's weeks, there's situations, there's circumstances, there's all of these things, but ultimately, like, this is not to get rid of abortions, this is to get rid of state abortions. Yeah. And it is, today is uh, Monday, the 30th of May, and it's still federally legal for anybody to get an elective abortion. Um, this is not the lay of the land, or the law of the land, I should say, yet. Um, but that will be happening. Um, you know, and we will see we will see that in some states, in addition to not having access to an elective abortion, you also want to have access to birth control. Um, and we and Linda and I have seen that firsthand. You, you get a, you are limited on having access to birth control, and if you want to stop abortion, then logically it would seem that we would need to provide people with birth control. But most people say that actually, if we just tell people not to have sex, they won't have sex. And I'm sure you thought I was conceived before that. And I hope each of us conceived before. It doesn't work. It does not work. Oh, okay. So if my if I don't want to break my arm, then I shouldn't use it. Okay. Cool. Noted. Um, I mean, that might be a little far fetched for the people who like conceive them, but like I'm just making up silly things like that. It just sort of to me, it's like okay, and yeah. so yeah. That's that's the the myths that I wanted to dispel before ending this because I think there are some pretty inaccurate. Yeah. I mean, the, there was a conversation about ectopic pregnancies and just moving yeah, it. So yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, bro. I'm like, what are you saying? So I can't move an ectopic pregnancy and having experienced it with a friend of mine, uh, the latter half of last year. It is sad and it's painful mm-hmm. and it's so fucking scary. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, I think what I grieve for is all of the women and mothers that I know in my life who have had to have a DNC, which is uh, a dilation period. Yes. So essentially, like when they, the process that happens when they have to go in and um, dilate the woman and then remove the fetus and all the pregnancy tissue that's involved. Yeah. And it's really painful and it's really sad. And um, it's a deeply personal thing, right? It can go from like this sort of like horrible discussion and collective discussion to the individual. Um, yeah, so I agree for you all. I see you. Um, and hopefully in the show notes, we'll have some resources and some more information um, in case you need support or you just want to learn more and understand. Um, yeah, hang in there, everybody. Yeah. Keep your head up. Thanks for listening. Have a good day. See you soon. Thank you.